Good evening, grave robbers, and welcome back to the television graveyard. We're your TV necromancers, Lara Prince and Noah Houlihan. We've come here tonight to examine past television shows to find out which ones could be resurrected, should be resurrected, and which ones should just stay doomed. This is a podcast in which we'll analyze the history, the hype, and the aftermath of shows that ran only one season, including some that ran only one episode. With me, as always, is TV's Noah Houlihan. Hi, guys. This is usually the part of the show where I like sneak in a fun quote from the show. Instead, this week, I'd like to simply say this. If I had invested in Dogecoin when Sex Toy Dave told me not to, I'd have $25,000 right now. So this has been our weekend. Yeah. Uh, complaining about how Sex Toy Dave gave us bad advice on Dogecoin. It's a joke. It's not going to go anywhere. I'd have twenty-five grand. I oh. did the math. Oh my god. So this week we're doing the 1981 Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yes, a BBC miniseries. Yes. So uh, I'm a, a big Dougie Adams fan, so I was very excited to do this. Laura... Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide is this weird, like, nerd blind spot. I don't have anything against it. It's not like it's one of those things where I'm like, no, I don't like it. It's just I never got around to reading it for some reason. It was like Firefly for me for a while. Yeah, and like, what's funny is I read a lot of, like, Terry Pratchett. When okay. I was in middle school and high school. And for some reason, I was just like, no, I'm a Terry Pratchett girl. They're very similar. Terry Pratchett's a little more fantasy and Adams is more sci-fi. Yes. So I kind of was like, no, I'm going to read Equal Rights and Good Omens again. Yeah, I've never been. I've always been more sci-fi. Yeah. Like, uh, fantasy always I have rough time with. I'm not a big high fantasy person. Like, I, I don't really care for Lord of the Rings. I right. try once a decade to read Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and it's coming I, up. It actually is. Um, time to try Lord of the Rings again. I, I get so bored so quickly. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I did like Game of Thrones, though. So I yeah. did, Or Song of Ice and Fire. Yes. Because I read the books. I did. They're really <laughs> big, and I want credit for them. Yeah, you, you get credit for that. I did have the cultural osmosis knowledge yeah. of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy of, you know, don't panic, always know where your towel is, mm-hmm. 42. The stuff that... Walking through a Comic-Con. It's one of my nice washcloths. I have a towel. Um, it's one of my nice towels. And it's a... Uh, just the things that you just know from existing in this world, even tangentially. Yeah. So, I uh, I knew a bit. Yes. So now, let's get into it by pouring one out. Laura, what do you got there? So I have 99 bananas in red fruit punch, shaken up so it's like a little bit frothy. Okay. And it's called the Trillion. Okay. Uh, it's red, it's frothy, and it's way stronger than you think it should be. Oh, all right. That makes sense. Yeah, so I, I call it the Trillion. How is it? She's drinking it, ladies and gentlemen. It's all right. I wish I had real fruit punch instead of... Mio water? <laughs> well, I have. The Pangalactic Garble Blaster. Yeah, you, you called dibs on this one. Oh, yeah. I was like, this is what I'm making. You should not eat, drink more than two. I, I will only be having one. 
so a lot of the ingredients for the actual Pan Galactic Garble Blaster are uh, fictional. So I did my best. You're supposed to melt uh, this certain ice from a glacier. I don't have that, so I started with ice. And uh, since it's the coolest drink that I can think of, I started with a base of Gatorade. Uh, so it's blue cool Gatorade. Okay. Uh, then I wanted it to be green, so I added a little bit of creme de mint to it. Mm-hmm. And then I added some uh, liquor 43, the answer to life, the universe, and everything, plus a little more. Uh, And then uh, I, uh, it says on the bottle that it is uh, dragon fruit, but it is actually bug bladder beast of Terrell fruit, which is a very silly beast that believes that if you can't see it, it can't see you. So So, like a puppy. Yes. So I have some of that rum in it as well. And uh, since it's supposed to knock you on your ass, put some tequila in this. Ooh. Let's see if he makes the noise, ladies and yeah. gentlemen. <laughs> what have I done? Oh, I should say I wrapped it in a towel. Um, Again, one of my good towels. What have I done? What have I created? I I cannot tell if that's a positive or negative oh. reaction. It, it's, I created Frankenstein. It's like I created life. But at what cost? No, I've read Frankenstein. I'm not going to try that. I know what Frankenstein's monster does to Frankenstein's wife. I slid it it towards her and she... Is it good? That's not a word I'd use. God, I hate you. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's so much going on in it. Why does it taste weirdly Christmassy? Creme de mint. Oh, yeah, I'll do it. It's kind of like being oh, that's... bashed over the head with a gold brick. Oh, the taste didn't go away. Yeah, and it, beco- <laughs> it becomes different stuff. <laughs> it's like an everlasting gobstopper. Yeah, but it's more like an everlasting, oh, God, stop. Her. Her. <laughs> All right. All right. So, uh, so I'm going to suffer through this. I'm already acting up for company. <laughs> oh my gosh. No one else is here. I know. I'm just like, I'm full of very strange energy after drinking this. So but... let's talk about The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Episode one opens five hours to the destruction of Earth. Yes. And we get narration about what the book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is. Now, this is kind of interesting because it's very like prescient because mm-hmm. the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy looks not unlike this nook yeah it looks like a nook it's it's an electronic book and anything that you want to know it will tell you it says it says don't panic on the front in a very friendly font yes and uh no i want you to put a screenshot up here for our youtube viewers that's not friendly no it's very much that's like a chaotic font and it flashes and nothing Nothing tells you not to panic like a flashing siren-like strobe. So we find out that uh, there's this perfectly normal Englishman named Arthur Dent. Yes. And they're trying to put build a bypass road through his house. Yes. And he had no idea they were planning to do this, so he tries to lay in front of the bulldozer. Yes. And his 
best friend shows up, Ford Prefect. Yes. Uh, Ford Prefect is... Uh, he tried, When he came to Earth, he wanted to have a very normal name. Yeah. Uh, and he saw the car, the Ford Prefect. Yeah. Uh, for the longest time, I thought it was Ford Perfect. And, like, that's a common American mistake. Because the Ford Prefect didn't come to America. So a lot of people just read it as Ford Perfect. Uh, in certain things, uh, in certain regional translations, his name is Ford Escort. Ooh, that makes kind of a lot of sense. And Ford Escort is actually like a much more interesting like double entendre. Yeah. Because Ford is very much dense escort to yeah. the galaxy. Yeah, it's a, it's a better pun. So, uh, that's your fun fact about Ford Prefect. I, I had to do a lot of research because I didn't know shit about this. Yeah. Uh, excuse me, I didn't know anything about this. Yes, I will have, like, just the tu- the tushery knowledge because I've read it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Laura will have the deep dive research. So, we get... we The show is full of non-sequiturs, where it kind of yes. goes off in another direction... And they talk about how Earthmen are, are descended from apes. Yes. And they show Earthmen are very uh, spiteful toward their predecessors. They never invite them over for dinner. Yes. And then there's like a cutaway scene of human beings at a dinner party with apes. Yes. With a giant thing flashing that says, this never happens. This never happens. That's a fun little fun. joke. Uh, I want to point out that like these computer graphics pop up a lot. Yeah. When... The Hitchhiker's Guide is basically talking to us and explaining things about the universe. One of my favorite aesthetics is 80s future. What the 80s thought the future would look like. Retrofuturism? Yeah, because it's like, it's the future. Everything runs off of MS-DOS. Like, I love, I think it's so funny. Well, and it was all, um, it was all like cell animation Mm -hmm. because they couldn't get the graphics to work in a way that they found aesthetically pleasing. Okay. So this was like painstakingly done. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Um, So Ford Prefect is sweet talking the foreman who is a slimy jerk uh, because... Interesting right there. Yeah. Yeah, Like, I'm sorry to stop you so early, uh, but this bothered me. The... Uh, Ford Prefect has to kind of like convince this foreman uh, that Arthur needs to go to the bar with him. Yeah. And to do this, he's like, All your men are going to be standing around here all day doing nothing. Could be, could be. Well, if you resign to doing that anyway, you don't actually need him to lie there all the time, do you? Not as such, no. Not exactly need. Well, if you just like to take it as read that he's actually there, then he and I could slip off down the pub for half an hour. How does that sound? Sounds perfectly reasonable. If you'd just like to come here and lie down. What? It's very simple. My client, Mr. Dent, says he will stop lying here in the mud on the sole condition that you take over from him. What are you talking about? In the show, you called him very slimy. Yeah. Because it's very obvious that he's going to knock down the house as soon as Dent's gone. Oh, yeah. In the book, uh, the foreman is, he's, he's in it just about as long, but his character is, he is so unconfident that like the fact that Arthur Dent is in front of the bulldozer is giving him like panic attacks. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, you know, 
all these people are watching him and he's supposed to be the foreman and he's supposed to be in charge and he can't do anything. So Ford legitimately tricks him in the book. Oh. And like, he like kind of lays down and is having like a panic attack. So I thought that was an interesting change. Yeah. And like Ford's entire, like Ford's entire objective is he needs to get Dent to go to the bar with him. Yes. So he convinces Dent to go with him. Because the end of the Earth is in 12 minutes. Then we get a cutaway of the differences between the Encyclopedia Galactica and the Hitchhiker's Guide. Yes. And that's where we learn about the Pangalactic Gargle Blaster. And we get this cutaway of like two sexy green aliens drinking it. Yes. And then they move to make out and then they both collapse dead. Yeah, because it's just that toxic. Never drink more than two. Mm-hmm. And we hear the first mention of Zaphod Beeblebrox. Yes. And then... He um, will be important later. We get to the bar. I, the, these cutaways often cover travel. Yeah. Like, we don't see them walk to the bar. They're at the bar. Mm-hmm. So, Ford and Dent get six pints. Ford gives the barkeep a fiver. And this is apparently a lot of money for... For, for six beers? Yeah. Which is mind-blowing. I mean, this is 40 <laughs> years old. And, like, even I'm sitting there, like, the cheapest beers I can think of is, like, when there's a $2 special on domestics... Mm-hmm. And that's still not enough money. Yeah. Like, the idea that he handed him a five for six beers, and the response was, this is a huge tip. Yeah. (laughs) is insane. And we get the famous line, it must be Thursday. I never did get the hang of Thursdays. Never get the hang of Thursdays. Which was my first Hitchhiker's Guide, like, quote that I said a lot. Mm -hmm. Ever. Because I used to have Thursdays off one semester in college. And uh, if you have a day off in college during your classes, there's no limit to the trouble you will get yourself into just having a day off. Mm-hmm. So I would say that all the time because every Thursday I'd find myself in an increasingly like strange situation. I remember I said it in college and somebody laughed to win. Ha ha, Rocco's Modern Life. I was like, no. Laundry that's laundry day. <laughs> laundry day is a very dangerous day. Um, so at the bar, uh, there... Ford does this amazing job. I love Ford in this scene where he's basically telling the bartender and convincing the bartender that the world's about to end by just like throwing wads of cash at him to buy like peanuts and stuff. And like the bartender eventually like it kind of hits him and he's just like, so is there anything we can do? It's like, no, just, you know, try to make the best of this last four minutes. And he just kind of looks around and goes, last call, boys. Yeah, like, it's really sad. Yeah, it's it's an interesting moment to stick into this uh, show. It's in the book as well, and I always thought that was a very interesting moment. Yeah, and I I haven't read the book, and I feel like maybe this makes more tonal sense in the book. Because I think the book might have more space mm. for these kinds of scenes. But, like, this is one of the only, like, real feelings scenes. Yeah. And it's so early that I kind of thought this was going to set the tone for the show in a way that it does not. Yes. Uh, and then there's, we're starting to see the things that are going to destroy the Earth. Yes. They hang in the air in exactly the way bricks don't. Yes. What an amazing description. And they announce that... Uh, As you are probably aware, the plans for the development of the outlying regions of the western spiral arm of the galaxy require the building of a hyperspace express route through your star system. And regrettably, your planet is one of those scheduled for demolition. The process will take slightly less than two of your Earth minutes. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. 
Correct. Which, which calls back what the foreman said to Dent about, like, in the basement of the planning office. Yes. Uh, there's a great moment with the barman where he actually says, are we supposed to put a bag over our heads? And Ford shrugs and goes, if you like. If you like. <laughs> which is great. It's the Cold War. Yeah. Like, this is taking place in the early 80s. We're still in, like, the thick of the Cold the War. The duck and cover days. Yeah, this is the, you know, hide under your desk. So Ford also then just steals a ton of peanuts. He jumps over the bar and just takes all the peanuts that he can get his hands on because they need salt and protein. Well, he does pay for them because he throws wads of cash at them. Yeah, he throws whatever he has. Yeah, because it doesn't matter anymore. (laughs) And then Arthur and Ford scream as one of the bricks appear. And uh, both men hold on to something. And then the next note I have is such production value. That 80s BBC money, though. So yeah. I'm guessing this did not look expensive. It legitimately looks like MST3K. Yes, it does. Like that just spaceships that are clearly made out of paper being hung by string. Yes. Uh, moving around. It looks a lot like uh, a Hitchhiker's Guide. Or no, I'm sorry. It looks a lot like MST3K. Sorry, Pangalactic Garble Blaster. <laughs> um. I think it's funny because we see a guy with his with an end is nigh sign, and I was like, oh, this predates Watchmen. Yeah, I was like, Rorschach's there. And so Ford rescues Dent as the Earth is destroyed. Yes. And Dent is weirdly chill. Yes. And if I were to ask you where the hell we were, would I regret it? <laughs> is what he says to Ford yes. when they get when they like wake up wherever they are. And, and since you bring it up, this, this is something I do want to discuss, because another line is something like, because I believe his response is, we're, we're safe. Ah, oh. good. We're in a cabin of one of the spaceships of the Vogon Constructor Fleet. Ah, this is obviously some strange usage of the word safe that I hadn't previously been aware of. What are we supposed to feel about Arthur? Because I get the impression that when I'm reading the book, I can kind of put some sort of emotion in him that makes his reaction make sense as a person who makes jokes when he's panicking. I could also get shock. Yeah. Like Arthur being in shock because this is all like, this is a lot. Right. But he will maintain this throughout the rest of the show. This kind of like stiff upper lip energy. I mean... I get it, because, like, British. That's what I was going to ask. I was like, is this just too British for me? Yes. Okay. Um, we're we're going to tell a story about my grandfather right now. Oh, all right, You then. uh, You actually heard this story yesterday at Mother's Day brunch. Okay. My grandfather's car at one point exploded, and they called someone to put it out, and my aunt came home to find my grandfather standing in the driveway, smoking his pipe. Watching his car burn. Just waiting for the... Just kind of chilling. And she's like, um, dad? And he's like, well, what am I going to do about it? And he's just puffing away on his pipe. That's how English my grandfather was. That, okay, pipe. that's that's what my assumption was. Because, like, throughout my reading of the book, there's a lot of times where he says something. I'm like, oh, he's just trying to joke with Ford. Or he is panicking, so he's making light of the conversation. In this, it never feels like those are the reasons for Arthur's actions. Yeah, it's just that supreme deadpan energy. Yeah. That is very, very British. It is so British, it seems inhuman, and he is the only human. (laughs) And, like, 
I, I think I'm less thrown by it because of my upbringing of, mm-hmm. you know, being raised by English people. Right. So I'm just like, yeah, this is, this is how, I mean, how would you react? <laughs> um, so like, that, that's why I didn't find that strange in the okay. same way. So then we see like a little Muppet creature. Because uh, they turn the lights on, and this little, like, Muppet creature is like, ah, turn those off. Yes. He's he's one of the cooks, because... The Dentrassi. The Dentrassi. Because basically what's happened is, Volgons never pick up hitchhikers. Because they're bad-tempered, bureaucratic, and officious. But the Dentrassi are the cooks, and they hate the Volgons. Because Ford's really excited about the food and tries to tempt Dent with the food. And then, when Ford takes a bite, he goes, oh... Oh, they hate them. Yes, which I thought was a great, like, show-don't-tell moment. Yeah. Uh, so this is a fact that he is going to add to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yes. Because it originally just said there's no hope in getting on a Volgon ship. But this is the loophole that's been discovered. Yeah. So it needs to be updated in the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Which he then explains to Dent. Yes. Uh, which causes Dent to then, of course... Look up Earth. Harmless. Harmless. Ford then explains that there's not a lot of room, but he was able to extend the definition of Earth to mostly harmless. And uh, he explains the concept of a teaser, which I found very funny, Mm -hmm. because that's how Ford got to Earth. Uh, It's just like rich aliens who go commit essentially the abductions out in rural areas. Yeah, because they think it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. You got to know where your towel is. We get the babblefish. Yes. Uh, which was, you didn't know was Hitchhiker's Guide. I did not. Yes. Uh, the babblefish is a fish that you stick in your ear and then it's a universal translator. Uh, it also happened to disprove the existence of God. Yeah, and I believe there's also a thing in the books that they protect whoever they're in because their sense of self-preservation is so strong. Yes. Which I found it super interesting. And then the episode ends with Ford telling Arthur the fate of the Earth. Yes, it's gone. Yeah. Everything is gone. So at this point, I'm like, okay, this is kind of neat. Yeah. The, it does, the first episode, like, it's throwing a lot of stuff at you because it, everything's new. Yeah. And uh, the cutaways are, like, funny at this time. Uh, there, there's a couple really good lines in here. Uh uh, one of my favorites that we skipped over is after the guy uh, proves that God does not exist, he goes on to uh, explain that black is white and white is black and then is trampled at a crosswalk by passing zebras. Yeah. Like, that's incredible. <laughs> or this is one that I have read a hundred times and never got the joke. What are you doing? Preparing for hyperspace. It's rather unpleasantly like... Being drunk. What's so wrong about being drunk? Ask a glass of water. Now. That is a great joke. Yeah. Like, and, and like, it just took, it takes an extra beat of time to really understand, but they have to like British their way through it so quickly <laughs> that it's easily to miss. Uh, there's also a scene here where they really needed to do another take. Yeah. And Ford just kind of like stumbles over his lines. Yeah. Harmless. Just one word, harmless. Well, it's the old edition. Listen, 
There are a hundred billion stars in the galaxy and not, not, not much space in the book. And no one knew much about the Earth then, of course. Well, I hope you've managed to rectify that a bit. Well, yes, I transmitted a new entry after the editor. He had to trim it a bit, but it's still an improvement. What's he say now? Mostly harmless. Mostly harmless? Oh, come! So that was a bit of a bummer, like, but you can tell how low budget this all is. Episode two. We get on about the unhappiness of people and the silliness of currency. And we also kind of get a, this is what was happening in, on Earth when it was destroyed. We see like a woman had an idea in a cafe that would fix everything. And we see an old British man. Not an old British man. We see a British man just walk naked into the sea. Yes. This man is Douglas Adams. Douglas Adams appears in a cameo where he gets completely naked. Yeah, and because the BBC has fewer nudity hang-ups than American television, you just watch his butt walk into the sea. Yeah, I I have a note here that just says nudity. Also, this will be the first time where uh, this show talks about its hatred for the digital watch. Yes. Because it's something like, oh, everybody wanted a digital watch, but it didn't make them happy. And just absolute hatred for the digital watch. And so we're finding out that, uh, and the discussion of the worst poetry in the galaxy. Yes. Grunthos is the worst, but Vogon poetry isn't as bad, but it's still bad. And the Vogon leader gives Ford and Arthur the choice to die or compliment the poem that has just been read to them. Yes, which is awful. It's absolutely awful. And Dent immediately and naturally begins to compliment the poem in... Beautiful English major BS. Oh, yes. Like, it is such, like, it is every English major who didn't do the reading and wants to get that participation grade. I've been Arthur and I've got, I've been on the other end of Arthur. The diction really lends itself to the metaphor of whatever the poem was about. (laughs) Yes. Uh, It's great. Ford is, like, bewildered. Yes. Yeah, Ford is, like, apparently for Ford there was a choice to be made. Yeah, that's actually very clearly stated in the book. Yeah. That, like, the idea of complimenting the poetry never had crossed his mind. That's pretty funny. (laughs) Uh, But they work together to complement the poetry, and the Volgans, because they hate everything, were just like, ah, we're going to throw you into space anyway. I write poetry because I want to be loved. Yes. And then no. They say uh, resistance is useless, which I found super interesting because this is eight years before Star Trek: The Next Generation. So this is eight years before resistance is futile. Yeah, this is eight years before the Borg. That's crazy. This guy, the the Borg, is a ripoff of the Volgans. Apparently, there's that whole scene where the Borg does poetry. Is there? No. Okay, I was, gonna say, I was like, that doesn't sound right, but I also didn't really watch Next Generation. Yeah, uh, I was a blind spot for me. I was an original series, and upsettingly, Voyager. Voyager. Yeah. Um, Voyager was on when I was a youth. They're in the airlock, and Dent is starting to freak out. And yes. Ford tries to trick Dent into thinking they won't die. Yes. And then Dent goes, You know, it's at times like this, when I'm stuck in a Vogon airlock with a man from Beetlejuice about to die of asphyxiation in deep space, that I really wish I'd listened to what my mother told me when I was young. Why, what did she tell you? I don't know. I didn't listen. Yes. That that joke, for some reason, super doesn't work for me in the, the show. Series? Because it, like, he's being legitimate in the way it's portrayed in the show. He's legitimately like, I don't know. I didn't listen. Didn't you just hear what I said? 
Like, when I'm reading the book, I can put it in my head of, like, Arthur knows he's making a joke. Yeah. In this, everything's done almost too straightforward. Mm-hmm. Like, almost airplane-esque, that none of them have believable character traits. Which is why I love later, in the same scene where Ford goes, uh, we're definitely going to die. Wait, what's that switch? Where? I'm just kidding. You're definitely going to die. And he, like, points at him. Yeah. Like, there's a moment where he's like, ah, gotcha, Arthur. Which, like, oh, okay, they're friends. Right. Yeah, because after this episode, we really lose the friendship between Fort and Dent. Yeah. And it's a huge problem for me in the show. So, they get thrown out of the airlock, which I was not expecting. Because, like, yeah. when you're watching these kinds of shows, you're like, oh, they're clearly going to not... They're going to figure something out just in time. And the odds of their survival in space is 2 to the power of 260,199 to 1 that they be rescued. Which happens to be a phone number of a pretty good party Arthur went to. And he met a girl. And he met a girl. And he thought he was hitting it off with her, but he turned around to get a drink and she left with someone else. Yeah. Ford and Arthur are rescued. Well, Well, that's... They're not rescued this episode, are they? Yes. Oh, okay. I thought it ended up with them being thrown out the airlock. No, we we have a lot more episode. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, so everything is blurry. And then we get this weird, like, David Lynchian nightmare initially of, like, Dent losing some of his limbs and Ford being a penguin. Yes. Because what we will find out later is happening is they are part of the Heart of Gold spaceship. Yes. Which runs on improbability. So it is able to be everywhere in the universe at, at the same moment because it runs off of the most insane things happening. Yes. Things like spontaneously becoming a penguin or randomly losing your limbs. And this line comes directly from the book. You know, if this is South End, there's something very odd about it. What do you mean the way the sea stays steady as a rock and the buildings keep washing up and down? So basically the... The land is acting like the ocean, which is an impossible thing to show in a fi- in this medium. Yeah. So, like, it's an interesting thing to write in a book, but they try to show it in a TV show, and it doesn't look good. Fold, there's an infinite number of monkeys who want to talk about Hamlet. Great joke. <laughs> and then we hear the first female spoken line, halfway through the second episode. Welcome to the Heart of Gold. That's the first female spoken line? Yeah. And... It is this woman who is the most 80s looking creature conceivable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I say this and like, I I want you guys to know that usually the the aesthetic from the decade isn't settled until like, the 80s aesthetic as you think about it isn't until 83. Right. The 90s aesthetic isn't until like 93. She looks 80s and this is 81. Like, yeah, she's prescient. Yeah. The, like, the serious blush, the blue eyeshadow, mm-hmm. and this, like, very weird red outfit. She looks like a fembot. No. Because the fembots were very sleek. She is very 80s. She's an 80s fembot. Like, you know how the fembots had that, like, mod 60s look to them? Yeah. She is 80s. Right. So 80s. Like, crimp, super crimped hair. And... The, we find out about the infinite improbability drive. We get that cut away from the book. Yes. And then we hear Trillian, who we, we know her name is Trillian. She announces, we have normality. Yes. 
Next note, her makeup sucks, yikes. It does. And we meet Zephod Beeblebrox. Zephod Beeblebrox. This character was written for radio. Yeah. Because he, the technology was not there no. to make him work. Yeah. He has two heads, one of which looks like it's made of papier-mâché. Yes. And uh, doesn't work. It was a... Uh, it was an animatronic. Yeah. But it was very easy to upset the animatronic. Yeah. If the actor got too into his performance, it would screw up the robot. And Zaphoid is a very animated character. So. Yeah, so if the actor did too good of a job, it destroyed a prop. Yeah, so it was usually just like sitting there with its mouth open. He also has a third arm. Kind of turn. He has a third arm that's usually in his pocket. And a second penis. Yes, I don't think that comes up as much. No, uh, but it is in his costume, but it is never shown. No, really? No, it never, like, there's, they they built it into the costume because the actor and Douglas Adams agreed. And it's like, I gotta have my second penis. And it's never shown, it's just a piece of trivia. Huh. We also meet Marvin. Marvin, who looks like a toy wind-up robot. <laughs> he looks like a McDonald's play place. Yeah. <laughs> Also, wear Trillian's pants is my next one. Yes, note. yeah, because she's in, oh, I hate Trillian's costume. But Marvin is a depressed robot. And we get the ad for Marvin's product from Serious Robotic Marketing. Your plastic pal who's fun to be with. Yes. And nope, not. No, he's the most depressed and he's like, he'll moan and then he'll be like, I hope life. I'm not upsetting you. Don't talk to me about oh, life. Life. No one mentioned. Yeah, he's worse than Eeyore. And we uh, we see a newscast. We find out that Zephyr Beeblebrox has stolen the heart of yes. gold. Yes. Uh, in the book, we see the whole thieving, but for time's sake. It's just like, yeah, he stole it. I'm sure that very exciting scene uh, would have been too expensive. Yes. And I think at this... Throughout the show, we definitely center Dent. Yes. So I think that's why we don't see this because like spending too much time with Beeblebrox, he would probably very quickly become a more interesting character than Dent mm-hmm. because Dent is not terribly dynamic. Well, here's the thing about Zaphoid Beeblebrox that they don't really explain is he's like the president of space. Yeah. yeah he, I, I forget what he's president of, but I know he's president. And he's a great president because the job of the president is to distract everybody by getting into scandals so that the people who actually run the galaxy can run the galaxy. He's been considered one of the greatest presidents because he uh, spent most of his first year in prison. Okay. So, Zaphoid Beeselbrock is commonly a name that they would call Donald Trump. Huh. So I was curious if you got Trump feelings from this guy. No, because he's styled to be way more like 80s Yeah. And I missed the part where he was president. Okay. Uh, I got definitely like the guy who peaked in high school. Yeah, that's that's a really good description of Zaphoid Beetlebrock. Like I got really big guy who peaked in high school vibes. Yeah. He's in his 40s, but he's still wearing his, like, varsity jacket. Yeah. 
Uh, they talk about the triple-breasted whore of Eroticon 6 like eight times in this episode, mm-hmm. just in passing. And as Arthur and Ford are brought to the bridge, we find out that Arthur knows Zaphod because Zaphod met, they met at a party and Zaphod took the girl he was talking to. He had one head at the time. Mm-hmm. And then we meet Trisha McMillan. Yeah. Trillion to you. And we find out she has multiple advanced degrees. Yes. I'm going to tell you that because that's pretty much how we're told. Yeah. It comes up once. And then never again. But she's mostly very ditzy. Yes. We also find out that Zaphod and Ford Prefect are distantly related. Yeah. So They have some of the same mothers. <laughs> I love that line. Uh, basically what we're establishing is unbelievable coincidences happen. Because of the improbability drive. Because of the improbability drive. drive. Then Magrathea is explained, I believe, next? Oh, uh, then we're done the episode. Oh, we're done the episode. Yeah. All right, so that's two episodes down. Yes. Uh, at this point, we are still pretty pretty good on this. Yeah. But, like, now that, like, we're second episode deep, it's like, well, you threw a lot at us, at us now. Let's, like, now let's get into it with these characters and their feelings about what's going on. Like, yes. we've established a lot of stuff. We don't need to establish new things. So ever so now we talk about Magrathea in yes. episode three. Everybody was very wealthy, uh, but on we set in Magrathea is the wealthy planet where they made other planets by yes. like commission. Um, they made me a planet for exposure. Uh, Magrathea seems like it's a legend. Yes. Upon this, Dent just is begging Zaphod for tea. Yeah, he just wants tea. Zaphod is super hype. Ford is skeptical. And then we start to see, like, trouble brewing on the Heart of Gold. Mm-hmm. And then we get relax-a-vision from Freakazoid. Yeah, they're like, uh, so a bunch of terrible things are about to happen, but so you're not upset, here's a picture of the ocean. And we want you to know that the only bad thing that happens is someone gets an arm ouchie. Yeah. We're not going to tell you who, so there's still suspense, but it's not important. And did you catch who it was? Trillion. It is Trillion? Yeah. Okay. Because I didn't catch it. So... Uh, so we get this, like, relax-a-vision. And no one knows how to fly the ship. Oh, because missiles are going to hit the ship. Yes. But they escape unharmed. And then my next note is, hey, the Heart of Gold kind of looks like a dom. Well, the reason that they escape unharmed is Arthur has the idea to hit the improbability drive, which then turns the missiles into... A very surprised-looking sperm whale. Oh, yeah. And a pot of petunias. Yes, which we're going to get into in a minute. Yes. Uh, Eddie, who is the ship's computer, who we met last episode but hadn't done anything important, Mm -hmm. sings, for no apparent reason, you'll never walk alone from Carousel. (laughs) Yeah. And then Trillian figures it out, does the math, and, like, gets them to the ground safely. Because Dent... Uh, or she, like, starts to get them, like, where they need to be. And somebody goes, like, Trillium, where'd you learn that? Going around Hyde Park Corner on a moped. What? Geometry, I guess? <laughs> and then Dent finds the improbability drive. Trillian gives him the nod. Dent slams his hand into it. And they turn. that's when they turn into petunias and a whale. Yes. Zaphod compliments Dent. And he tries to demur. demur. And uh, Zaphod takes him at face value and is like, okay, it wasn't that big of a deal. Yes. And then, the whale. 
I, I just want to hear your thoughts on this. Would you like to read hear my notes on the whale? Yes. Existential crisis of a whale. Whale. This feels adult swimmy in the bad way. We are still on this whale. Whale, whale, whale. Man, the budget for this was low. Whale, whale, whale. I wonder if it will be friends with me. I hate this whale. <laughs> so what is happening here is... Yeah, I legitimately don't know because that's all the notes I took. <laughs> uh, the whale had just come into existence. So the Hitchhiker's Guide to, Exa- to the Galaxy explains what the existence of this whale's experience was. And it's like the whale falling into the ground because it was being shot from this planet and then became a whale, so gravity's taking over. So in the brief moment before it hit the ground, what was the whale thinking? And it's like, oh, man, there's all this whooshy stuff going past my head. I think I will call it wind. It's going past my bottom part, I guess. I will call it tail. And it goes on for a while. And I knew this part was coming. And I remember thinking, like, Episode two, episode one was great. Episode two, it started to lose me. I think we might lose Laura on the whale. Good news. <laughs> oh, man, did we. And the whole point of this, in my opinion, is, and I'm sure you don't even remember this, the part with the whale goes on for five minutes, maybe. It's probably less. It feels long. Yes. And then the, the punchline is... Uh, the, the Oh, the bull of Petunias thought, oh, no, not again. Oh, no, not again. If we understood why it thought that, we might understand the universe. And then it smashed into the ground. That joke is almost completely destroyed in this medium for two reasons. One, you can read at any speed. Yeah. So, like, it doesn't feel... And I read very quickly. Yeah. It doesn't feel so drawn out here. Two, we watched this on Hulu. And Hulu... Ran an ad in the middle of it. ...seems to have no respect for this show and when the ads happened. So there was an ad in the middle of the whale. And then we came back and there was more whale. Which is probably one of the things that made it feel even longer to me is like, oh, we're still on the freaking whale. Yeah, so it went to a commercial and then we come back and then it was still a whale. It's like, oh, oh no, that didn't do this any favors. Uh, so this episode after the, the, the whale episode, rather, uh, they then go to Megrathia and, uh, they split up because basically Zaphoi doesn't want to deal with Marvin or Arthur. Yeah. So they, they end up splitting up and Arthur ends up being quasi kidnapped by someone that works for Magrathia? Let, let's let's kind of go to the other group first because okay. we see more of them. Okay. Uh, Zaphon's heads are both wearing these cool sunglasses that turn entirely black when they're in danger. Yeah, so they don't have to see it. We also find out Trillian's white mice have escaped. Yes. That's important. And anytime there's danger, Zaphon kind of just tries to shove Trillian in front of him. Yes, like a human shield. And then, like, through this whole thing, while his friends are in danger, Dent is outside waxing poetic about the sunset and the stars. Mm -hmm. While Marvin does not care. I've seen sunsets. Dreadful. 
And then this is when we meet an old man who is kind to Arthur. And he, the old man says, like, I slept through the economic recession. Yes. For five million years. And he's going to take Dent to the center of the planet. Magrathia is awakening. My next note. Do I care? Yeah. The show, my next note is, the show has great gags, but I don't care about anyone. Then we talk about dolphins. Yes. I feel like it's very late for so long and thanks for all the fish, but that's what we get. Yeah. Uh, but And I think this is another thing. I, I want to talk about this now because this is one of those moments where I think it is beneficial to know less about this show. Yes. Because I knew about dolphins and I knew so long and thanks for all the fish. Mm-hmm. So all of these jokes don't land if you already know the punchline. Yes. Curiously enough, the dolphins had long known of the impending demolition of Earth and had made many attempts to alert mankind to the danger. But most of their communications were misinterpreted as amusing attempts to punch footballs or whistle for titbits. So they eventually gave up and left the Earth by their own means shortly before the Vogons arrived. The last ever dolphin message was misinterpreted as a surprisingly sophisticated attempt to do a double backward somersault through a hoop whilst whistling the Star Spangled Banner. But in fact, the message was this, so long and thanks for all the fish. Uh, if, if you don't know the punchline, basically, uh, humans are not the smartest per- people on Earth or the smartest species. We're third. We're below dolphins who, like, were trying to talk to us the whole time whenever they did tricks. Uh, but we were too stupid to figure it out. And the smartest are mice. Yes. Because when we're experimenting on them, it's actually them experimenting on us. Yes. They do this thing where they're showing Arthur a movie, basically, by shooting a laser into his head. But they do a very poor job of explaining that's what's happening. Yes. Until, like, the third time we do it. And I was like, oh, I get it. (laughs) But they then explain Deep Thought, which is a computer... That is meant to come up with the answer, the ultimate answer to life, the universe, and everything. And the answer is 42. However, it takes 15 minutes to get to that. Yes. And to play off of what you were saying, everyone knows 42. Yeah. Like if the, it's, that's the one thing you know from Hitchhiker's Guide is probably 42 in towel. Yeah. So the bit of this is kind of this computer called Deep Thought being like, you're not going to like what I have to say. And like delaying, installing, and building up, oh my God, this is the answer to everything. And then the letdown of it just being 42. Which doesn't work if you know that's what it's going to say. Well, you're really not going to like it. Tell us. The answer to the great question... Yes. ...of life... The universe and everything yes. is yes. is yes. forty-two. It was a tough assignment. Forty-two. Because we're in episode four now. Yes. Like, and I actually have the note here that says, "Knowing for it's forty-two ruins this episode." It ruins the whole episode. Yeah. It's. Oh, they're showing Dent. It's a whole flashback episode. It's 42. 
Yes. But then they have to find out what that, what is the ultimate question of life, the universe and everything. Because now they have the answer. They have the answer, but they don't know the question. The earth is key, and that's why the mice commissioned it. And Slaughter Barfast, who is the old man who kidnapped Dent, designed Norway. He did the fjords. Yes. Hmm. And basically the earth, it turns out, is a huge computer that in, I think it was like 600 million years would spit out whatever the question was. Yes. But and it was about to figure it out. It was about to figure it out when the Volgans destroyed it. So the characters reunite because they need to go meet with the mice. Mm-hmm. Benji and Frankie. And they're having a delightful meal. Mm-hmm. And like Trillian, Zaphod, and Ford are super happy. And the mice think the question is embedded in Dent's brain. Yes. Because he was the la- essentially he's the last piece of Earth remaining. Um, because Trillian left Earth earlier. Okay. Because this is a problem I had. I was like, well, wasn't Trillian human? Trillian's human, but she left Earth several weeks before. Okay. Dent. Um, so then, like, Zaphod kind of considers trying to sell the mice Dent's brains. And we find out, like, the space cops are after Zaphod. Yes. I and wanna, this is the police standoff. Well, I want to talk about the mice real quick. Okay. Uh, because the mice talk in this. It's like these two mice that are kind of, like, in this thing. And it's very clear that they only got one good shot of the mice doing something that they could pretend was them talking. Because anytime the mice talk, it's very clearly the same shot in slow motion. Yes. <laughs> Which, of course, made me think of Garth Marenghi. Yes. Uh, my next note is that the entire internet would be into Ford Prefect sexually in 2021, probably. Yeah. He's definitely the kind of character Tumblr He's, he's got piercing eyes. Yeah, he's definitely the kind of character Tumblr would, like, latch on to. hmm And we get this police standoff where it's very long. It's very long. This fourth episode sucks. Yeah. It's basically about how they don't want to shoot them, but they're going to shoot them because it's their job. And they're trying to, like, talk their way out of it. And the, the only part that kind of got me is uh, one of the cops says something like, now listen to this, people, Brock. And you better listen good. Why? Uh, because it's going to be very intelligent and quite interesting and humane. Okay, shoot. I mean, fire away. Uh, sorry, uh, misunderstanding there. Which, that made me giggle. But overall, this is a drag. So, then we kind of get this moment where uh, the police say they want everyone to come quietly or they're going to blow up this planet and the two or three closest ones. Yeah. And so Ford and Zaphod accept that they're going to die and start singing a Beetlejuice death anthem that sounds a lot like the Star Spangled Banner. Dent and Trillian just kind of stand there. Mm Mm-hmm. And then... two characters almost care about each other with Zaphod and Ford. And I realized this is the big missing piece in this show. Is the relationships between these characters. Yeah. Like, there's no evidence that any of these people really like each other. And, like, 
The show is predicated on Ford Prefect caring enough about Arthur Dent to get him off Earth. Yeah. Why? But we never see that friendship or that relationship. You know, Dent was at one point interested in Trillian. You'd think Trillian would have, like, some kind of, like, kinship with Arthur of, like, you know, oh, we came from the same general area and now yeah. our planet's gone. Yeah. Like, I don't think it necessarily would be a romantic or sexual bond, but, like, you'd think you'd have that kind of, like, when you go to college and there's one person from your high school there. Yeah. And how, like, you're kind of friendly with that person because they're a piece of home. Yeah. Something. But, like, everything that is said is meant to move Nah, it's not even... Everything that is said is a joke. Yes. Like, there's very little that is said to move the plot along unless it's coming from the book. And there's nothing for who these people are as people. Absolutely. So, episode four was the one where I really just kind of... Episodes three and four were very weak. Yeah, this this episode ends with an explosion and everyone's assumed dead? Yes. (laughs) Like, that could have been the ending. Episode five. Starts with a recap. Oh, I'm sorry. Can I bring up one? Sure. Or two really quick things? Sure. One, episode four restates the hatred for digital watches. Yes. I made notes every time. Uh, And two, there's an entire very long sequence about uh, words that accidentally slip through the galaxy and are overheard by... The, this group of spaceships that go to declare war, war on Earth. And when they get there, they find out that Earth is much bigger than they thought and they are eaten by a dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wanted to bring this up because some people argue that the best version of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is the text adventure video game. Okay, I could definitely see that. And the text adventure video game is great, but it is unbelievably frustrating in that in the scene where you go to the bar and you have to drink the pints before you get the ride, there's a there's a cat, I believe. Mm-hmm. If you look at the cat, the cat eats this spaceship that they're talking about here, which sounds like a fun Easter egg. However... Later in the video game, that spaceship has to save you. So, and that's like hours later in the game. Oh, that's wild. So there's a moment where if you looked at a cat, you ruined your chance to winning the game. But that the fact that it's ruined won't happen until six hours later. Oh my God. And you won't know that's the reason. That's so upsetting. So there's a fun fact for you. Ugh. Oh, I hate it. So, Ford wakes up first, and then a man asks him, oh, you just finished the gargle. I did, I did. Ooh. Zaphod turns to Ford and calls him Zaphod? Yeah, what the hell was that about? You know how you mentioned needing another take? (laughs) Zaphod calls Ford Zaphod. Oh, God, it's so dumb. So, uh... Were the subtitles wrong, or did he actually make the mistake? There's a later one where there's a mistake. Okay. Um, they say it's not the... And they ask if it's the afterlife. It's not the afterlife. It's the Apoiv. They're at the restaurant of the end of the universe. Yes. Because if you've done six impossible things, why not have breakfast? 
all science fiction is Alice in Wonderland. This was a jump. What are we talking about? Six Impossible Things Before Breakfast is Alice in Wonderland. Oh. I've done, some days I've done as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Oh, so this is just an illusion. But I always have the, I wrote a full paper on this once about how all science fiction are variants on Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, it's the fish out of water story. And I was like, okay, Dent is Alice, Ford is the white rabbit he follows into the journey, Zaphod is the Cheshire cat, the like, you know, mischievous character who kind of pushes the journey along. Mm-hmm. And I, so I'm like, my next note is I wrote a whole goddamn paper about this once. Uh, by this point, I was just so annoyed. I was like, why? Why are we doing this? So at this point, I'm hoping I will like the show more now. Yeah. Because The Restaurant at the End of the Universe is the sequel book. It's yes. It's the sequel to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which I have not read. I've been meaning too many times, but I have not read it. So I was like, oh, this is going to be different now. Maybe since I don't know what's coming, I'll enjoy this more. I will be disappointed soon. So, the next thing we get is... uh, Trillian scolds Ford and Dent for staring at a scantily clad woman, which is such a weird thing that doesn't fit. Yeah, like... Because if she's with anybody, she's with Zaphod. Yeah. No. Uh, we've only seen three women so far in this series, and they've all been scantily clad. I hate science fiction, was my next note. Um, so, we have, we then meet the rock star, Hotback, Hot Black. Yes. Uh, who refuses to speak to Ford because he is such a rock star. He is part of Disaster Area, the loudest rock band in uh, the galaxy, which is best enjoyed, I think it was like 600 miles away while encased in concrete. Yes. was the best way to listen to them. Uh, And they're going to do a big publicity stunt where they fly a rocket ship into the sun. Yes. Get excited. Um, We also had this weird like... He's spending a year dead for tax reasons. Yes. Which I thought was funny. Uh, there's also, like, a stand-up comic? Uh, I, he's very reminiscent, for my theater kids, of, uh, Joel Grey from Cabaret. Okay. He's very much that MC character. He's styled to look a lot like Joel Grey from Cabaret, too, of, like, that kind of makeup. So, like, that's who, I, that's the vibe I really got here. And the whole thing is everybody's there to watch the universe end. But the restaurant at the end of the universe exists in a way that you can go and leave and... Yeah. Like, the universe is going to end, but everyone's going to be okay. Yeah, like, you leave after it. Yeah. It's medieval times. Yeah. Well, I mean, the universe does actually end. Yeah, but it's like in a time pocket. But yeah. The the, the, the timey-wimey shit. And uh, we get... The main dish of the day sequence. The sequence is so long. It's so, so long weird. and it adds very little. It's a pig-like creature that's like, please eat me. And like suggests which parts of his body would be delicious. Yeah, and the whole point of it is Arthur feels uncomfortable eating something that wants to be eaten. It's like, yes. But you spent your whole life eating things that didn't want to be eaten. Yes. Okay, what an interesting point. But who are these people and what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, it, it just kind of crashes the plot to a halt. Like, 
What's Arthur's motivation at this time? To just continue? Yeah. And then Zaphod gets a phone call. It's Marvin. Marvin's been waiting for five million years. Yes. Apparently, five million years have passed since the explosion on Magrathea. Yes. And now, uh, Marvin is a valet parker? Yeah, he, he works in the valet of the restaurant at the end of the universe. And he's waited five million years to see his friends. Uh, and the five million years were miserable. They then... Why do they have to escape? Uh, because they don't have a ride back from the end of the universe. Oh, so they're going to die in the end of the universe if they yeah. don't leave. Like, everyone else has a ride. Gotcha. So... So they're going to steal a ship. Yeah, they steal a ship... It's a black, it's, everything is black, <laughs> and it says disaster area on it, and then I think that's where that episode ends? The ship is rigged to crash into the sun, because uh, it's on autopilot. Yes. And that's where that one ends. That one There's just... other, like, little things I just skipped over, because they were not consequential. Yeah. There, there's a joke about how space is infinitely big, so mathematically the population is zero, which I was like, that's a fun math joke. Yeah. But, like... We're, we're at this point where I'm like, I don't know why we're doing anything. Like, Zaphoid's goal was to get to Magrathea because it was of legend. It would be like finding El Dorado. And they think, he thinks there's money there. Yeah, and he did it. But now that's gone. So now what? And Trillion's just kind of with Zaphoid. And Forge just kind of with there. Zaphod, but like, we don't get the... We don't get the impression there's a romance or even a sexual interest. Yeah, like, she's just with him. Yeah, it's a very... There's no relationships. Yeah, and then, like, Ford is just like, I'm a hitchhiker, I'm continuing. And Arthur has nothing to live for at all. Theme music still slaps, though. See, theme music's pretty good. And I also want to point out that in this episode, they start reusing graphics yes. from... Like, you just see the Babblefish again... Yeah. And I was like, no, you can't waste my time with reruns in this new episode of this show. In this six-episode series. Uh, so then we get to episode six, and it's it's finally, uh it's finally going to end. <laughs> and at least we have a conflict. They're going to crash into the sun. Yes. And they don't want to. So now they have to do something. And uh, there's a cutaway about why humans talk. It's because, it, like, if they don't say obvious things, their brain dies. Yeah, there's also this, like, there are three main questions. How can we eat? Which evolves into why do we eat? Which evolves into where shall we have lunch? Where shall we have lunch? Um, so uh, my next note is whatever. Kill them all. I don't care. <laughs> Um, we get, we see the MC, like, gearing up for the Disaster Area concert. Yes. And we find out there's a teleporter on yes. board the ship. But it's, Someone has to stay behind. It's also broken, so they don't know what will happen. Yes. But it, they do know that if they go into the sun, they will die. Yes. So, they're like, we might as well chance it, but someone will have to stay behind to work the teleporter. And they all slowly look at Marvin. Who has just waited five million years for them. And Marvin does it. He 
works the teleporter and then crashes into the sun, which really upset me. And Zayfod like can't even be nice enough to him in that in that moment. moment. Like the story of Marvin is, yeah, he's really depressed, but he still was loyal to his friends, waited five million years for them to return, and then when they got together again, the people he waited for condemned him to death within a few hours. Exactly. Like, ugh. Like, mm. like I, I know that I'm not supposed to be like justice for Marvin, in, like, I know that's not the relationship I'm supposed to have, but since he's the only one that had a personality, granted, it's depressed, but it's a personality, it's the person I was most connected with. Yeah, because, like, the show is completely devoid of emotion. So, uh, when we find they've teleported, Dent and Ford have switched jackets and robes. Which I thought of Tumblr. I was like, ooh, Tumblr would love that. Yeah. Uh, Trillian and Zaphod aren't with them and are never seen again. Yeah, they just don't know what happened to them. Yeah, no Trillian, no Zaphod. Yeah. It, it's almost like they were like, we have to include them because they were in the radio play, but we have nothing for them. So let's just make them poof. And... Oh. Mm. Uh, a bunch of joggers, like old joggers walk by and there's a little bit of banter and like a really good like moment between Ford and Dent. They get um, apprehend. They kind of like investigate these pods and they think it's all these dead bodies, which I'm like, these are clearly, it's clearly cryo. Yeah. And they were exercising to keep from atrophy. And we see the captain. Yes. Who's in the path. And he's been in the bath for three years. Yes. And there uh, were supposed to be three arcs from this one yeah, planet. If, this is the B arc. Yeah, to, to kind of zoom through this, the idea is three arcs had to leave this planet because it was condemned, condemned to die. Arc A was supposed to be all of the, like, brilliant minds, the thinkers. Yeah. Arc C is supposed to be all of the, like, workers, the doers, like, construction janitors and things like that. Yeah. Arc B is the middlemen, the hairdressers, the middle management. Yeah, marketing. Marketing, advertising. Uh, and it's actually just a scheme by this planet to get rid of their useless people. Yeah. Like the other arcs never left. Yeah. It was like a Thanos gambit. Yeah. Which is a kind of fun idea. So it's the murder ship Goga Frenchum. Yes. And then this ship crashes on a planet. Yeah, on like this green planet. So then Den and Arthur make a boat and sail yeah. away. And then we get a title card that says a year and a bit later. Yeah, so, there, so a year and a bit go by of nothing interesting. And the whole reason for this is for them to leave for a year, come back, and these group of people to have done nothing. Yeah, it's just a ton of bureaucracy. Uh, and... Planet of the Apes style. It's Earth all along. Yeah, Dent. We see Dent play Scrabble with a caveman. Well, the, unlike the the Statue of Liberty, uh, they find the Slotovarfast's signature, signature on, on the Norway. <laughs> uh, so, 
I, I want to ask this because I'm not a hundred percent. Was did they go back in time and are on original Earth, or is this the second Earth created by the mice? Well, I it's this. I think it's the original Earth because they actually fret about how they screw up the uh, calculations okay. by existing. Yeah, basically the idea is since these middle management people are here, it's going to screw up whatever the question is. Like, we've ruined the Earth for the future because these people are here to gum up. They're like a virus in the computer. Yeah. That will ruin whatever the calculation is for the question. So the, they're playing with the Scrabble board, and the caveman is bad at it because it's yes. Scrabble. But then he spells out the word 42. Yeah. And so they, they're like, the question is still in Arthur. What's something random we can do? Yeah, to see if they can just, like, poof it out of him. So they, he reaches into the bag of Scrabble tiles and spells out, what do you get when you multiply 6 by 9? 42. Which... Isn't right. You don't. So it's wrong, and then we hear the song What a Wonderful World, and the series freaking ends. This is so infuriating, because like at, in this moment, all of a sudden they're like, oh my god, we can find out what the question is. Which was never their goal. Yeah. Like, they only found out that that was a thing in episode four? They spent episode five not talking about it. And then at the end of episode six, they're like, uh, maybe maybe we can finally do it. It's like, no, this is not a thing you ever cared about. And then it's just this huge anticlimax. Yeah. And we never find out what happened to Trillian or Zaphod. Yeah. And like, assumably, assumably Ford and Dent spend the rest of their lives on ancient earth with cavemen and hairdressers. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is bad. Yeah, I really wanted to enjoy it, too. Like, I wanted to like this because I like the style of humor. Uh, and I thought I would like this significantly more. Yeah, it, it fails to, like hit the beats they really want to because it's always interrupting itself. Yes. And like, it's not like a family guy cutaway where it's like they set up a joke and then you see the joke. It's much, much longer. Yep. And like, while it's funny, there's never anything I want to see. Like, Like, I enjoy the bits of the Hitchhiker's Guide. But, like, I'd rather just watch those as, like, YouTube clips. And I... It made me want to read the book. Which yeah. I know sounds strange, but, like, the adaptation was so weird and poor that I was like, oh, this would be a fun thing to read. Yes. But this was a bad TV show. Because here's my theory on the book that's, that I've always believed. Because I thought we were going to get to have this experience with the show. I believe Douglas Adams' work should be read twice. Mm-hmm. Because the first time you read Hitchhiker's Guide, you get to experience it as Arthur. This is nonsense. None of this makes sense, but I'm going along for the ride. When you reread it, you get to go through it as Ford, where you know everything. 
yeah. and you kind of have this experience of having the knowledge and enjoying that. I did not enjoy having the knowledge watching this show because I was just like, get the fuck on with it. And I don't even know what it is because nobody has any goals. Nobody has an objective. Nobody has a relationship. It's It feels like a number of loosely connected sketches. Yeah. With the same character, with recurring characters, but no real plot. Yeah. It almost, it's a worse version of The Meaning of Life by uh, Monty Python. I could see that, yes. That, that's what it is. Like, because like, just like Monty Python, like they promised us an answer that they don't give us to like the meaning and it just everything just kind of falls flat and like it's tough when the jokes are the best part but they're in the way of things like uh it's it's not good it's not good and i'm there's like you didn't do all the books no so you could make more but man i don't want any so is that your verdict it's it's a state doomed for me. Uh, I, this is a weird thing. I just want to bring up. I feel like the proper format is. Uh, I I was approached to do a project on a format called Echo. Okay. E K O. This girl was like really into plus two comedy. She was like, "Could you guys like create something for us?" This is before you were in the group. Okay. And like I pitched a few things to her and she was like, yeah, that's really interesting. But it was very clear that she thought I had access to more materials than yeah. I did. But the way Echo worked was it was an interactive like story. Like you could very easily do like a choose your own adventure or uh, there was a, a thing where it was the story of three people, but they weren't always in the same room. So you had to like switch to which we would following. Hitchhiker's Guide would be perfect for this. In if you just told the story of Arthur Dent, and then every once in a while it was like, bloop, citation. Yeah. And it was like, click here to learn more about the babblefish. And you could click it, or you could not. Or like... And then you could just get the story. Even like a pop-up video. <laughs> bloop? When you said the bloop, it reminded yeah. me of a pop-up video, and I'm like... That format could really work for this. Yeah. Except that all of these cutaways are so, like, they're so wordy. Yeah. They'd have to, like, get a little bit more, you know, brief. Brief. They'd have to be tighter. Uh, so that's why I think, like, the, like, click here to learn about, more about the uh, Pan Galactic Garble Blaster. Or just continue watching. Like, having that choice. Yeah. Having it exist instead of an interruption to the story, but a footnote, I think would really help this in this visual medium. Uh, it's a stay doomed for me, too. Yeah. I really... I would really like to read the books. I know we have them, so I think I yeah. might eventually just start the book. Yeah. Maybe this summer. And I think I'm going to enjoy the book significantly more because I do like the style of humor... I found the constraints of the show, of, like, the medium, to be very frustrating. Yeah, I, I think what it, the issue is, is in the book, I got the fill-in-the-blanks. Like, Trillian was that cool, approachable girl. 
that's just out of your league, but you could still have a conversation with. Yeah. Like, that's how she is up here. That is not how she is in this show. And, like, I could create the dynamic of friendliness and the the relationship between uh, Dent and Ford and how I chose to read their words. It was done for me in the show, and not well. Yeah, because Arthur is so aggressively English. But, and I'm looking at this through a 2020 lens. This show wouldn't really play the same way in 2020. You don't really have... Our sitcoms still have characters with relationships and Mm -hmm. feelings. This is, you know, post-scrubs, post, you know... I can't think of a modern sitcom that has zero moments of that kind of pathos. Right. Uh, Not even like an Always Sunny. Yeah, The Mac storylines. They're all still very character-driven. And there's still relationships between the characters. You could replace these characters with anybody. Like, we talked about the sexy lamp during uh, yeah. Jack and Jill. Trillion's a sexy lamp. Yeah, these are all sexy lamps. Everyone's a sexy lamp. Everyone's That's a sexy our show. lamp. A sexy lamp. Ooh, you a sexy lamp. Sexy lamp. I don't know. I'm drunk. So, uh, I'm going to have another one. No. <laughs> no, where can people find us? <laughs> well, first I want to say thank you to our uh, Patreon. Thank you to uh, Matthew for being a crowdfund crypt keeper. You can join our Patreon. That allows you to talk on our Discord with us about all the fun things that we do here on the show and all the other fun things that Plus Two Comedy are doing. We're going to be having a bonus episode coming out soon. And I believe right now you can still vote on what we will be doing on a future episode of Stay Doomed. Editor Noah interrupting yet again. A little bit of an update on that matter. We do have a winner of the poll and coming soon to the Stay Doom podcast, as decided by you and our patrons over on Patreon, will be the MTV show The Phone. It was a game show, reality show. It kind of walks that line where contestants were given a phone and had to complete dangerous tasks. So that will be coming soon here on Stay Doom. Not next week, but soon. Next week, you'll actually be able to see our review of The Elvira Show, which was on CBS, but never aired. It was created by CBS, but never aired. That also means, since we know we're going to be doing the phone in the future, we need you guys to weigh in yet again. We have a new poll up on Twitter. I need you to tell me what would you like us to do at some point in the future here on Stay Doomed. The poll this month has... The returning runner-up. This will be the third time it makes it to the poll. This was suggested by crowdfund cryptkeeper Matthew. And that is Scared Famous. This is a VH1 reality show starring various celebrity stars, including the queen herself, New York, in which they are put into terrifying situations. Or would you like the other runner-up, which was suggested by Lara, and that is Riverdale and Back Again that is a made-for-TV movie that was made sometime in between the 1960s Archie, which we always review, and the Riverdale show, which is currently on and constantly mentioned by us. Would you like us to review that? Or would you like us to review Matthew's newest choice being added to the poll, and that is The Amazing Race Family Style. The Amazing Race had many seasons, but... This one only happened once. It is families of four racing around mostly the United States. Or, here's another new one. 
it's a what a cartoon. It's Larry and Steve. They say that uh, this is Family Guy before Family Guy. This is a Seth MacFarlane pilot that aired on Comedy Central that eventually would turn into Family Guy. So those are your choices. Would you like Scared Famous to Riverdale and back again? The Amazing Race Family Style or Larry and Steve. You can vote on Twitter and the top two will move on to the Patreon poll and eventually become an episode of Stay Doomed. So if you want to have a voice in what we watch here on the show, check out patreon.com slash plus two comedy. Where can people find us? You can find us at the Stay Doomed Show at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Stay Doomed. And if you want to talk to me about the different mediums for The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I'm at Plus Two Comedy. If you, too, want the unbearable smugness of going, I think the book's better, I'm at Sprocket League. Until next time, stay doomed.